right? There's a term that researchers use to describe a type of technology that is so important to mankind that it changes society, and they call it general purpose technology. The acronym is GPT. Hi, and welcome to Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target News Director Anton Gonsalves. On today's show, we're going to talk about network as a service. We're going to discuss what it is and what it isn't. We're going to give you the highlights from Enterprise Connect, the uh, collaboration and communications conference held in Orlando, Florida every year. And we'll talk about the risk and the benefits of AI in human resource software. First up is network as a service. You know, this week, a startup by the name of Graphian announced a $62 million second round of funding, bringing its total to $100 million. Analysts say that the uh, NAS market uh, topped $2.6 billion in 2021 and will grow at a rate of 33% every year through 2030. Here to tell us what NAS is and to uh, describe, tell us about the why, the, all the market activity, is Bob Lalibert, uh, an analyst for Tech Targets Enterprise Strategy Group. So you told me recently that uh, you compared the network as a service market to uh, the Wild West. So, uh, so what did you mean by that? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I mean, I think what I what I really meant by that is anytime there's a new term and anytime there's a a dollar figure attached to it that has a B at the end of it, it attracts a lot of people to get into it. I remember. If you remember the software defined craze not too long ago, uh, it got to the point where our founder, Steve Duplessis, came out and said he was a software defined analyst, hoping to uh, hoping to make more money. So what it really means, though, is that everyone is attaching the moniker of, of NAS to something they're offering. And there's a lot of different definitions out there. You know, I, I quickly went through and you said, hey, why don't you come on? I just did a quick Google search saying, what is NAS? And the number of responses that came up and the number of different definitions that came up was uh, was certainly entertaining. So it could be anything from, I saw everything from WAN to the wireless access points to everything in between. Some people included security in that. So load balancers, VPNs, uh, firewalls, et cetera. But the reality is what we're seeing is just an overall shift in how we consume IT infrastructure. So clearly the cloud kicked that off, right? Infrastructure as a service, platform as a service. And now it's driving organizations to say, hey, I don't want to keep buying things the same way I bought them. So let me consume my network as a service, regardless of whether that's in the cloud, whether it's WAN, whether it's you know on-premises, on you know, wireless network, wired networks, et cetera, and really you know, shifts their responsibility of maintaining in a lot of these cases to the network provider themselves. And, and the really, I think the reason why that's happening is that modern environments have become incredibly complex. They're highly distributed, right? Applications are across private data centers, multiple public clouds, edge locations. And there's one thing connecting all those, the network. But as a result, it's become so much more complex. So the resources that you have, you don't want them focused on doing those mundane routine tasks, doing the upgrades, performing patches, things like that, the lifecycle management. So when you shift to that NAS, first of all, it eliminates typically the one thing that everyone's pretty much consistent on is it, it eliminates a CapEx purchase, right? You're not buying the, the infrastructure, you're purchasing it in some type of an ongoing model. That could be the hardware and software. It could be as a consumption-based model. It could be as a subscription model. 
So I, I, and it really, in a, in a lot of cases, it also includes some management capabilities as well, i.e. managing the, the back end. So there's a lot of different things to unpack there. I'll, I'll stop and give you a, a moment to jump in. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm wondering with so many, with so many different definitions, with so many different offerings, uh, what criteria should a, uh, should a company use in, uh, if they're going to approach a network as a service? Yeah, I, I think there's two main things. First of all, the organization needs to decide, do they want to continue purchasing their network infrastructure the way they always have as a CapEx? And then it's the onus is on them to get it up and running and, and moving and so forth and get all the value out of it. Or do they want to shift some of that responsibility to the network vendor and consume it as either a subscription or as a service type of a model? Once they do that, I think it's just really, in, it's incumbent upon the the customers to be able to, to make sure that when they're looking at different offerings, that they're comparing apples to apples. So truly understanding what those offerings are, whether it is just a financial model, whether there's additional support, lifecycle management, et cetera. You know, there's, there's full on fully managed services. There could be co-managed services. You know, we see this a lot in like the SD-WAN space where they're co-managed, where the, the service provider or the network provider will deliver the technology as a service, get it installed, get it up and running and manage the day-to-day -day activities of it. But installing all those policies and things like that will be on the business. So they still have a level of control, but they don't have to do all the patching and, and things like that. Okay. So, so how should, um, how should companies look at these, these startups? Uh, I mean, a lot of the, their pitch is that it doesn't matter what you have on your end in terms of hardware. You just, point it to our service in the cloud and uh, and you got your WAN. So, but at the same time, you establish vendors, of course, have their offering, which probably like a Cisco be more tied to their their hardware. So yeah. so how should uh, companies look at these startups uh, as, you know, when compared to the uh, established vendors? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always awesome to see these startups coming out with new and getting funding, right? Especially in a time like this. And certainly the pedigree from this startup is, is fairly impressive, right? The former founder of Viptela. So he's definitely going to be getting money. And he's trying to look at, here's what I did last time. And it and it really ushered in a sea change, right? The, the conversion to SD-WAN really changed the dynamics of what's going on in a WAN environment. Now he's trying to come up with other technology and reshape what's happening in the WAN and how quickly you can do it, the agility that you have to do it, the simplicity in which you can do it. And again, it all ties back to these environments are getting a lot more complex, but the organizations have to move faster than ever. So how can you implement a solution that enables you to be more flexible, to be more agile, and to spin those services up with less work on your end and without having to have fully trained PhDs, right, in networking to be able to do this as well. So we're, we're starting to see more and more of that that happen and occur. And it's happening across all the organizations, right? Whether it's the, the startups like you're seeing or a Cisco or Aruba with uh, GreenLake and things like that, different consumption mm -hmm. models. Uh, Nile is another one that's just recently come out as a startup that's doing it for the mm -hmm. wired and wireless uh, land space. So there's a lot of innovation happening right now. So it's really, like I said, it's, it's what best fits for an organization, how mm -hmm. they want to consume the technology, where they want that technology deployed, right? Right now, we've seen a lot of the focus on NAS being either in that, that campus branch wired and wireless uh, LAN, or we've seen it in the WAN space as well. So we'll see 
We'll see whether organizations go fully into network as a service for the data center. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, never say never. Okay, so for more than 30 years, the Enterprise uh, Connect uh, Communications and Collaboration Conference has brought thousands of communication pros together uh, to look at the, uh, the latest software, uh, latest technology. Uh, here to tell us about the major themes of this week's, uh, this week's show is uh, Katie Finnell, the editor in charge of Tech Target Editorials Communications and uh, Collaboration site. So, so what are the uh, what were the uh, major themes out of uh, this week's show? The biggest theme was definitely just everything generative AI uh, to improve you know productivity and tying data together. Every vendor on the main stage this year had an announcement around generative AI. Um, another theme was of a phrase that was kind of really common at the conference was uh, magnets, not mandates. So the idea that mandating people to come back to the office is not effective. You need to make the office a magnet for people to actually want to come and collaborate there. Um, so some vendors also had announcements of improving the meeting experience and the collaboration experience uh, at the office. Okay, so let's uh, unpack this a little bit on, on generative uh, AI. Uh, how is it being used? Uh, how did the vendors present it as a uh, as a benefit within for hybrid work? For sure, the the main one is is collaboration, making meetings smarter, being able to tie together data from your chats, your shared files, the meetings themselves into one place, so that you can get all this data everywhere and really simplify things, streamline things, um, make things more effective. Uh, you know, we had Microsoft with Copilot, Cisco WebEx AI, Zoom IQ, uh, RingCentral's RingSense, you know, what Google's doing with their large language models and AWS and the contact center. Um, so a lot of announcements are around intelligent meeting summaries. So not just getting a transcript of a meeting, but you know, bullet points that might show the high level, you know, key takeaways from a meeting, uh, chapters so you can search section by section in a meeting, even highlighting individual speakers, or even bullet points that are specific to you and your job role within a project. And sometimes if you join a meeting late, you can get in chat and get a recap of what you missed without having to interrupt the meeting. Or even with Copilot specifically, it can join meetings for you. So if you're double booked, it can attend a meeting that you can't attend and you can get a full summary of all the information that you need that you missed. No, oh, I like that idea. I like <laughs> that idea. Uh, so it, it appears that the AI is a lot of it is focused on uh, making increasing efficiency of the of the employees and when it when it comes to meetings. Um, and what about this this idea or this concept of changing the office to bring people back in? How does that work from a technical from a technology standpoint? And what's the concept? From a technology standpoint, it's definitely about making meetings better, more immersive, and more like the experience we have here remotely, where we're perfectly framed, we see each other, we're making eye contact, um, and mm -hmm. even things like being able to access chat or virtual whiteboarding. You can't really do that in a meeting room if you don't have your laptop with you, so you can't contribute in chat like the remote participants can. If there isn't a touchboard in the room, you can't ideate on a virtual whiteboard like the remote participants can. And it's even things just 
being able to see each other. Um, the bowling alley view was, was mentioned where you have the camera at one end of the room and then you're just looking down a long table and the people at the back of the table, you can't really see them. It's hard to hear them. So there were a few announcements around that. Um, Cisco and Zoom are both doing something similar. Um, Cisco has cinematic meeting and Zoom has intelligent director. We're using a multicam setup around the room and with AI built into their software, it can change the camera angles dynamically to always give the best view of the room, depending on who's speaking or if somebody's walking around. So that way the remote people can see everyone clearly, they can hear people better, and it just makes for a better experience that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Microsoft announced that the Surface Hub is now joining the Teams Room ecosystem. So the Surface Hub can be used as a touchboard, so you're able to access some of those ideation capabilities in a Teams Rooms meeting. Um, Microsoft is also going to support BYOD, so now you can bring a laptop, plug in a connector, and you can launch a Teams Room meeting from your laptop, so you can still access a lot of those things you would normally lose. And Cisco also announced, uh, it's called um, Meeting Zones. So Before the pandemic, a lot of businesses were investing in open office spaces. But now post-pandemic or kind of, you know, three years in, open office spaces are a little more challenging because you want people to come to the office to meet, to collaborate. Things get noisy. So with uh, this uh, meeting zones, you can establish a boundary in an open meeting space or a conference room that has a lot of glass walls so that if anything is happening outside of that meeting boundary, it's not picked up on camera. You don't hear noise. It's not picking up people walking by. So it just makes for a better experience in a more open office space. Yeah, there was also some some discussion about actually making changes to the office to make it more welcoming. Yeah, so I'm sort of on the non-technology side, thinking more about like the company culture, you know, what would bring people back to the office? And that could be activities like hackathons, which can give more professional development, you know, group activities, diversity and equity and inclusion activities, town halls, lunches, things that make you want to come to the office for more than just sitting at your desk, taking meetings or just sitting at your desk, working at your computer, but actually being able to come together in a way that brings you together with the other, you know, people that you're working with and also gives you training, gives you professional development, drives real purpose to being in the office. Yeah, it's, it's no it's no longer just coming into the office for, for a paycheck. Right. <laughs> Finally, you know, generative AI and its offspring chat GPT seems to be going into just about everything, including uh, human resource software. Uh, here to tell us about the risks and the benefits of uh, AI in HR is uh, Tech Target Editorial Senior News Writer Patrick Thibodeau. So, uh, so uh, who were the vendors uh, this week who announced AI in HR uh, in their software, and uh, what's the purpose? The vendors, um, the vendors are just starting to announce, and they're mostly the startup vendors at this point. Uh, Hireology and Beamery. Uh, both announced some product with it all in beta. And I'm sure there's a lot of others that are putting out beta products right now, but so quietly they aren't announcing it. But the, the sum of this is this is taking over HR technology. It absolutely is. And I, I want to I wanna tell you why. And let me back up and explain just how important this technology is. Right? There's a term that researchers use to describe a type of technology that is so important to mankind that it changes society, and they call it general purpose technology, right? The acronym is GPT. Keep that acronym in mind for a moment. So what are examples of GPT technology? It's the wheel, 
it's indoor plumbing, it's electricity, it's air conditioning, it's the internal combustion engine, the internet. Now, what does ChatGPT stand for? Well, they named it Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Obviously, that name wasn't chosen by the marketing department. My feeling is that an engineer in a basement came up with that name. And my, my hunch, I have nothing to base this on, is that they used GPT intentionally. They wanted to send a message that they couldn't send deliberately, that this is really important. And it is. It is super important to HR. Okay, so uh, so what are the what makes it so important? And like all technology, uh, it's going to uh, it's going to introduce new problems as well as solve them. So yeah, so 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 deal with that the risk and benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Here is the level of interest, right? In ChatGTP, here is the level of trust. There's this huge delta between the two. The interest is overwhelming. The trust is is no has not caught up to the interest, and it's going to be a while. So, the startup HR vendors, as you would expect, as any startup, are quick to incorporate this technology in their product, and they're doing it in the, the initial applications that I'm seeing are job descriptions. Job descriptions are fairly easy, right? You can go to ChatGTP and you can just type in, you know, write me a description for car salesman. And it will do a pretty reasonable job. I, I, I've tried this myself. Um, so, but the vendors will add in their own secret sauces. They'll customize that for the, the employer and add in very specific things that the employer may want. And so you'll get a combination of chat GTP and the vendor's input that, that makes it a better job ad overall. But a human is still involved. The human is still reading the job ad. And why is that important? Because people don't really trust chat GTP. And, in, and even in job descriptions, HR is very litigious. You know, I mean, problems can arise over anything. And there's a whole subset of vendors out there that analyze text and for bias. So in other words, if you write a job description that says, hey, we need a car salesman who can do this and this and this. We need a real ninja on our, on our, uh, on our, you know, on our team. Ninja is one of those words that have been identified as discouraging female applicants but encouraging male applicants. So there's a lot to this and, and nothing is simple in HR. So they're going to be cautious at first. Now, are they, do you, are you, um, do you expect, because, you know, bias is the biggest problem, right? Or, or a major problem uh, with these, uh, with the algorithms. And uh, how is, how is that problem going to be solved or will it ever be solved? Do we need regulation to solve it? I mean, no one knows how these algorithms work. Absolutely right. I mean, well, first, I think, you know, just to answer your previous question, point I wanted to make is one, these chat functions are already arriving in HR on an ad hoc basis, right? Because it's so wonderful. You can go ahead and you can paste in a, a long two-page letter and, and it'll say, summarize this mess for me. And it'll do that. And so you don't have to read the whole thing and get the summary. So I think it's already appearing that way. And um, mm -hmm. in terms of the bias and the problems, well, that's the big issue, isn't it? I mean, you had Elon Musk and the other scientists this week send out that letter saying, hold on, let's take a six-month moratorium on this because they're worried that Skynet is going to emerge from this and we're all going to get destroyed. But uh, HR is, is, is going to move cautiously. There's a small vendors that move quick. The large vendors are going to take a year or longer to be able to really get this out into the product because they're going to have to test it thoroughly. They're going to have to make sure that it isn't going to get 
their customers in court and sued by the EEOC, the, you know, the federal authorities that monitor these things. They're going to have to make sure all those ducks are in a row. They're going to have to test it and the change management is going to be huge. But it will, it will, it will infiltrate every aspect of HR. Take a, take a performance review, right? Performance review is a combination of quantitative and qualitative things, right? People go, how did this employee perform? One through five, you pick a number, right? But then there'll be some comments. And there may be comments from other managers and other employees that add in, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this. And so what ChatGTP can do is it can take all this information and summarize it neatly. It's a huge time saving for, for the managers that are reviewing and signing off on this data. But first you have to know that you can trust what ChatGDB is doing. And there's a, that's, that's a huge divide right now. Right now, no one knows if you can really trust it because it tends to make things up and it tends to get things wrong. And, and it's, it's, it's not, it, you know, the bugs are still there and there are a lot of bugs in the system and they're very easy to flush these bugs out just through trial and error. But it will be capable in time of doing these things and doing them very well. There's no doubt about it. All right, that wraps up uh, this week's show. Thanks for watching and enjoy the weekend. I'll see you next week.